Hey guys, hope you're ready to jump into this week's 12 questions podcast here at We Are Social Media. Please join me in saying hello to former YouTube vlogger turned head of social media, Jana Dominhori. She's worked her way up the ranks quite quickly and is now the global head of social media for Jungle Creations, a leading media company built for the social age. And she's here to chat video, content, algorithms, and more, kicking us off with a little bit about her background. Hi, everyone. My name is Jana, um, and I am the head of social or um, the global head of social at Jungle Creation. Um, and uh, what I do is uh, manage the strategy of the company um, and build out our uh, online communities. Um, I got into social media when I was uh, 16 years old and I started making my own YouTube videos. Um, I started to grow an audience and started to really kind of see what the impact of social media was firsthand. Um, and since then, having that experience uh, made me quite desirable to social media companies and publishers. Um, so I was able to kind of uh, be lucky enough to get into this space. Excellent. Yeah. So Jungle Creations is very much video based, correct? Yes. Yeah. Um, so we produce hundreds of videos a week um, and we, um, we amass about 2.5 billion views a month. That's incredible. So, yeah, you have that wide range of experience to back you up. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, um, what I do is, is building and nurturing audiences. Um, and that's kind of, I got that first-hand experience from, from doing it for myself and just uploading videos of myself talking in my bedroom um, on YouTube. And I kind of, from that, it just, it just grew from there. Excellent. So then what would you say in your personal life, what's your go-to platform? Yeah, so I mean, obviously I have um, a kind of an affinity to YouTube because it was kind of my first introduction into social video. Um, and I have a lot of kind of friends through the platform that um, that became real friends, not just online friends. Um, but when it comes to kind of what I use more kind of as a as an in, as an individual, I love Twitter. Um, and I think that Twitter has, as a platform, made some really great decisions over the last year that has made it allowed it to be kind of relevant again. Um, and kind of regain popularity, which I think is, is really impressive for a platform to do, especially when we've seen a lot of platforms kind of just fall off the face of the earth. It's quite competitive. So, Yeah, exactly. I think it's an interesting one because, like you said, everybody assumed Twitter was dead at one point, and a lot of guests that we've talked to have actually drawn out the fact that it's grown, if nothing more. It's actually grown to be a bigger platform than it has in the past. And I think that has a lot to do with, as you mentioned, kind of the shift in how we use the social media platforms with Twitter being a key one for news. Yeah, and we can all see that Twitter's stocks are going up. And I think that that's a result of some really great decisions that they've made. I think, first of all, the introduction of Moment was really clever, adding that human element of, of curation of content, which other platforms seem to kind of rely so heavily on algorithms, which everyone's been talking about and everyone kind of always has issues with. So adding that human element of curating content to the platform and making it so easily accessible to, to see what's happening, whether it's you know world news or entertainment or um, kind of anything that's going on on the internet, that's kind of the first place that you, you can now go to access that. Um, but also I think that they've got such a great stance in terms of trying to crack down on accounts that are not as favorable to the platform and, and don't nurture and grow the platform as they should. Um, they deleted recently a lot of accounts that steal tweets and, and um, manufacture uh, retweets and manufacture virality by using TweetDeck and they've kind of really cracked down on that. 
And I know that they have a really strict policy in terms of um, monetization as well. And I think they've maybe had the benefit of learning from other platforms uh, of how, how social video has gone for them and kind of trying not to make the same mistakes. And I also think that they recognize that they are a short form platform when it comes to social video. Obviously, it's only really been this year where Twitter has been really kind of in the forefront when it comes to UGC content. But when it comes to when it comes to Twitter, I think they know what they are. They know that they are a short form platform. And it doesn't seem that they're trying to kind of move into a different space to that as, as other platforms might be like Facebook or Instagram. Yeah, I agree. I think Twitter's differentiating itself by learning from other platforms. For sure. Um, because like you said, the algorithms always are causing so much stress. So much controversy. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Because one day what you could be posting could work and then the next it won't. It just kind of Exactly. There's always questions around them and kind of why they're shifting the way they are. Exactly. And so I think that's what you're saying when it comes to making Twitter more human, it is becoming the more human platform of all. Yeah, for sure. And I think when it comes to algorithms, a lot of people have lost trust in in platforms because it can appear that the algorithms are there to benefit more the agenda of the platform rather than the user experience and the audience. Um, although, you know, platforms will always argue that the algorithm is there to make the experience better for the audience. And, and to some extent that is true because as an audience member, you have to always be served the content that you want to see. Otherwise, it makes it really difficult to use that platform. But when you're aware that platforms are monetizing that content, sometimes the algorithm may push out content that is more lucrative and drives more revenue while not necessarily adding as much value for the audience member. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's what's so interesting is social media opens up this world of data that we were all excited about when the internet came about. Yeah. Um, but we just didn't know what to do with it. Now that we know what to do with it, mm -hmm. it can be both a good and a bad thing, I think. And that's what we're starting to learn with the platforms like Facebook taking the hit on privacy. Um, because while for sure what they're doing is actually adding value to the lives of their users, but it's also kind of breaching the trust that they once had in the platform. Yeah, exactly. And I think we see that across the board. I mean, uh, YouTube had a similar problem with the adpocalypse and the adpocalypse 2.0 as the internet call it, when a lot of brands pulled all of their, you know, massive ad spend on the platform because they started to realize that YouTube wasn't necessarily doing the best job at making sure that their ads were only being served on brand safe content. And as a result, YouTube has had to have a massive knee jerk reaction where it's blacklisted a lot of um, kind of content that is maybe borderline or questionable, which has had a huge impact on the creators themselves. And uh, really kind of that all stemmed from the fact that initially YouTube had a very difficult kind of partner program with where, where it was difficult to actually be admitted into that as a creator, which made it kind of more sustainable in terms of managing which, which um, content was being monetized. And then I think at some point down the line, they realized, hey, actually, if we put ads on every single one of these videos, um, we can make a lot more money. Um, and I think they maybe got caught up a little bit with that and, and ended up kind of losing the trust of brands and, and now are having to work really hard and, to regain that trust. Yeah, exactly. So then what would you say? I know we talked about you guys really focusing on that video content. Is it YouTube that you really gravitate towards? Um, so uh, we kind of with Facebook, we are a massive publisher. I think primarily because 
you know, there's an element of right place, right time. Our CEO, Jamie Balding, started um, producing content on Facebook back in 2014. And really at that time, the algorithm was pretty much just giving you everything that a page published, right? You know, it's around like 2% of the audience that likes your page that actually gets served the content. Whereas back then it was, you know, anyone who liked the page got served that content. Right. I think, you know, it was with the hard work of Jamie and and the people who were in the company from the beginning to be able to maximize the profits off of that in terms of growing that audience and and growing the company and and making sure that we were continually um, creating new audiences and creating new content and, and also being really agile in terms of how the platform shifts. For example, like right at the beginning, we were making editorial content. We were writing um, articles and publishing that on our website and then put it, posting those things on the pages. And, and that was what the platform was all about. And then slowly there was that shift to video. And I think we were really quick to jump on that, luckily, and then started to gravitate towards original content with the recognition that that's what the audience wants and that's what the platform wants because Facebook really wants to be able to monetize their content. And in order to do that, you need to have creators who are creating original content on the platform itself. And we've, we've seen them do that with, with now uh, watch and, and the show pages that they've enabled. So really for us, it's, it's less about kind of what platform it is and more about what kind of content we need to be producing. And that strategy now of, of kind of leaning now towards original production means that we can utilize our reach on YouTube as well. We've recently, I think, from the beginning of this year, started to really push our YouTube strategy. And without creating any new content, it's just the original content that we know our audience loves, and being able to repurpose that for YouTube by by knowing what that platform wants and how to package the, the same content for that platform. So, you know, although on Facebook you would probably post a video between one and three minutes, what you really want on YouTube is, is 10 minutes plus. So we were able to kind of package the same content in a way that, that that was desirable to the YouTube algorithm. And as a result, we've grown to half a million subscribers just within the year without adding any new kind of content. It's just kind of, you know, the content that we've always been making. So, yeah, that's what it's about for us, I guess. Excellent. So then do you use a lot of um, paid promotion on YouTube or is it very much just organic posting? Everything that we do on an editorial front is organic. The only time we'll ever use paid is when we're working with brands and we've, you know, set minimum guarantees for videos and we know that there's a certain audience that they want to target. So it's more about, for us, paid is more about targeting a specific audience because, you know, we have an audience of almost 90 million now. So sometimes it's not, it's not exactly what the brand wants. So you, you've got to, you know, use paid budget behind things like that. However, like we, you know, our entire strategy is based around engagement and organic engagement because ultimately we know that's what's going to get us the reach on social and that's what it's, what's going to get us the growth of audience on social so you know if the, if the piece of content is good and it's exactly what what's right for the audience and what's right for the platform and um, it will get that engagement which will ultimately result in the reach and the growth of the pages so excellent so then what would you say is the future of social media as kind of an industry as a whole <laughs> it's kind of the big question yeah <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a huge question. I mean, we could probably talk for hours about that. Um, I think the difficult thing with, with answering that question is that, you know, as we've discussed, you can't really write any social media platform off, you know? Um, I think every kind of platform has had its criticisms. And I think it's much easier to criticize something new like social media because for, for the majority of us, media, uh, traditional media has been around for as long as we can remember. So we kind of, it, it is the way it is. Whereas social media has, is something that has kind of grown with, like within our lifetimes and, and has developed within our lifetimes and like before our eyes. And so it's very easy for us to criticize it. And I think that's why it gets such a bad rap. <laughs> 
um, when it comes to when it comes to people just kind of saying, you know, social media has ruined relationships or social media has made us, you know, not live in the moment, etc. So I think every single platform is going to continue to fight for relevancy. It depends really on how the platforms know that they need to survive. For example, with Facebook, it's really going to towards that original content because it recognizes the need to monetize that content. Whereas when it comes to YouTube, you know, they need to grow that community aspect of, of the platform. And that's what they're leaning towards because the one thing that Facebook has, for example, that YouTube doesn't is that social media element, right? You know, I would, I would even barely count YouTube as a social media platform because it's much more passive and it's less about networks and it's more about, you know, the, the creator and then the consumer. So, so I think, you know, they tried to do that a few years ago with Google Plus and it totally failed <laughs> because no one used Google Plus and, and it just became this really kind of ugly growth on the end of YouTube and they had to kind of sever that arm and kind of go back to basics. I think they've still struggled with that. So yeah, so I think it depends on kind of every platform has got its pros and cons and, and they're all trying to work to kind of be that big platform that everyone is using yeah exactly and they're all trying i think it's it's quite funny because you see that instagram and snapchat right instagram mimicked what snapchat did but at the end of the day they're all trying to differentiate themselves but they all end up doing the same thing (laughs) yeah i mean it's it's really it's kind of you know there's nothing that's more game of thrones than than the instagram stories thing right because it just kind of it, it just kind of totally dethroned snapchat by adding this, the exact same, just shamelessly adding the same feature that Snapchat offered and, and Instagram recognized that, you know, we have this hugely loyal audience and this like really active user base. And actually, if we just give them the same thing on one platform, rather than having to switch between platforms, they're going to choose that convenience element. I think Snapchat now is now trying to do, you know, programmatic and they're doing um kind of uh, long form originals and they're doing shows and they're doing non-skippable ads and i think they're trying as as best they can to diversify their platform recognizing that the stories element isn't necessarily enough but also realizing that they still have that audience and they still are captivating a really young user base which is which is super desirable to brands so i think it's about really what can we offer that's unique and different because you know we did stories but then you know, other people now are doing stories and, and it's and it's no, no longer unique to us, uh, which is a bit of a shame, but <laughs> that's kind of how it how it goes, I guess. Yeah, exactly. And it's it's just so funny because at the end of the day, they all know how we want to interact and that's why they're adapting the way they are. But at the end of the day, they all kind of end up giving us a different way of doing the same thing. Yeah, exactly. And I think it, it's also, you know, about the generations now because this is for the first time you have multiple generations on social media right so sometimes it's not even about you know what can we do to attract the masses but also what can we do to attract the specific audience that needs the service because really you can't please every single generation when it comes to social because different generations now will see social media differently like when when i was using social media at the age of 13 14 that it was all about kind of creating an online identity in the form of an online profile, right? So when you had MySpace and Bebo and even Pixo, you could really highly customize the platform to kind of reflect who you are and to show your kind of identity and your kind of digital thumbprint, I guess. Um, whereas uh, younger generations who've grown up with social media see it more as a, a way to connect with their friends. Um, and we see that in the different ways that generations engage with content. So we've noticed when we look at our data that the older demographic tends to share more content, whereas the younger demographic tends to t- 
tag their friends in content when it comes to Facebook. And I think that that is, is a huge reflection in, in terms of how already we're seeing different generations interact with social differently. So then in terms of what you've seen on social media, what's the standout piece of content that you've seen? Um, I think there's a, a couple of pieces of content that I've, I've really loved. And I think the way that they, the things that they have in common is the fact that they join in the conversation and they also kind of attach themselves to a cause and kind of stand out from the noise by doing that. So I, um, I saw a, an advert on Twitter that went, that went viral, which was for a women's razor, uh, which was the first, which I, and I didn't, I can't remember what it's called, but apparently it's the first women's razor advert shows actual body hair in an advert. <laughs> Which sounds ridiculous, right? It's 2018 and it's the first time anyone's actually shown a female body hair in an advert, right? And I think that, um, you know, the reason why that, that was so great was because, one, it's super, super visual. So, you know, because we're not used to seeing that, it's shocking to the audience. But also, um, it, it's, it joins in that conversation of, of feminism and, and equality and then also kind of the really heavy conversations that are going on, on on social at the moment about body image, body positivity and the beauty industry and the media industry kind of influencing what we think about ourselves and, and our image um, and especially how social media is now kind of taking that on and making it even more real. Because previously, you know, you look at a magazine and you're like, well, that's, that's a supermodel, right? Which it already is a little bit damaging anyway, because you're, you're comparing yourself to that person. But at least, you know, you see that that's a publication, that's a piece of media. Whereas now on social, it's your friends and it's the people that you know that are kind of editing their images and, and kind of taking them in, in certain angles to look as perfect as possible and using apps to Photoshop their pictures. And so that even is kind of even seems more real to us now. So now there's this huge kind of conversation about body image. And I think it's really clever for a brand to be able to kind of attach themselves to, to that conversation and actually contribute in a positive way. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's it's really interesting because we've been so hellbent on actually having these beauty images so perfect and so photoshopped but with the kind of developments within Instagram and how we kind of prefer to actually see that behind the scenes content and kind of real life content um, that's just really transitioned the beauty industry and I think yeah it's something that we needed for the long term to kind of grow as people but also as an industry. Yeah I totally agree and I think you know it's, it's a little bit ironic to an extent because People, I believe that one of the biggest reasons why Instagram was started to be used by the masses, and I think, you know, initially it was really favored by photographers because it, it was visually really nice and, and you can add filters and you can make things look really kind of aesthetic. And I think then that kind of imprinted on, on people being able to post pictures of themselves and their lives and filtering them and, you know, the idea of kind of, putting a, a lovely lens over your life, I think was really appealing and really attractive to people where you could, you know, curate this, this, this nice like mood board of your life and really have control of exactly how you want others to see you and how you're living your life and what you look like in the fashion that you're into or the restaurants that you go to or the places that you've traveled. And now, as you say, like with stories, what people really want is that authenticity because they recognize that actually we can all do that. We can all kind of add a filter and, and make our life look shiny and perfect. But really, social media is, is technology's answer to that lack of human connection. So the inevitable kind of conclusion for that is to be 
as authentic as possible and to be to be able to have honest and sincere conversations on the platform yeah absolutely so then in terms of I guess what you've worked on at Jungle Creations what is your favorite campaign that you've done Mm, that's a tricky one um there's there's a few I think that that I think have been really great one that I think has been really successful for a lot of good reasons is the campaign that we did with Bailey's so Bailey's, the alcohol brand, came to us and they really wanted to position themselves as a kind of year-round drink and they wanted to be, uh, you know, part of people's recipes, part of people's moments and be culturally relevant throughout the year. So we did a kind of like a year-long partnership with them on our recipe food brand, Twisted. So on Twisted, we post original food recipe videos that are all kind of produced by us, produced in-house. And what we did was we created a huge, huge, huge amount of content for them throughout the year where we incorporated Bailey's into loads of different twisted recipes. We ended up, I think, gaining about over 140 million views across the board. And we, I think we ex- exceeded our view target by about 70%. And I think that the reason why that worked so well was because there was a really good congruence and really good fit when it came to uh, the brand and the content that we were making. The content seemed like uh, like exactly the kind of stuff that we would make already. And then, you know, the affinity for the brand was, was really clear in the comments after we were kind of producing that content over and over again. And, you know, now we're working with them again on a, on a 10 month long partnership. Um, and and to, it's really great for us to be able to prove that we can not just, you know, produce one amazing viral piece of content, but we can also be like a, a strategic partner for a brand to be able to actually position them in a certain way to the audience. So, yeah, and I think what's really important about that um, campaign as well is that you don't have to hide the fact that you're that you're being paid to make a video, right? Because at the end of the day with the ASA laws now, you have to be very, very clear that something is a branded piece of content, right? So on, on Facebook, you, you tag the brand. Everyone knows it's a paid partnership. It says paid right there on the post, right? So I don't think that what it's about nowadays is to have that kind of Trojan horse mentality of let's sneak the brand in here somehow, right? I think now it's about it's about the the equal value exchange for the audience so if you're gonna have that brand in there and if you're going to incorporate that brand really well in the content um then it's got to be uh valuable enough to the audience in order for them to engage with that content so really the rule is is that the more that you want to have that piece of content heavily branded the better that content has to be in order to deliver that value for the audience um but i don't think it has to always be a case of let's just you know make a great piece of content and then right at the very end uh, mention that this is a branded piece of content you know yeah exactly and actually we just talked recently with someone that said the exact same thing you can have the brand all over it and nobody cares as long as it's providing value to the customer and i think that's actually the first time we've heard that insight and i think it's a really valuable one because i think a lot of brands are a little they just assume that because a brand, their brand is going on something, it will either turn off the audience or turn them on based on what the brand is and the product. But really, it's about the content that's supplied with that product that really makes the difference. Yeah, 100%. And I think audiences are so tuned in now in terms of what is brand and what isn't. And I think actually, the, the more you try to conceal the brand, the more offended they get that you're trying to somehow trick them into kind of consuming the content without realizing that it's that it's branded. And I think really on a level as well, it's, it is unethical to do that. So I'm, I'm kind of, I'm really glad that in terms of the platforms, their guidelines and also, you know, the general 
UK laws that you know you have to be very clear that a piece of uh, content is branded and I think when you're upfront about that if the audience is kind of passionate about you as a as a media publisher and they're passionate about the content that you make already they're willing to still hear you out and they're willing to still consume that content and engage with it because that content fits into what they have bought into because they've liked the page right if you if we on twisted all of a sudden produced something that has nothing to do with food and was just something completely different then that's when you expect the audience to switch off because that that's not what they've bought into in the first place so it's really important to have that congruence and that fit when you're making that content as well excellent what would you say kpi wise is your kind of go-to when it comes to determining success of campaigns yeah that's a really interesting question because i think that's a, a huge huge conversation going on right now between um, agencies and brands and publishers in terms of how can you measure the success of a social media campaign. Um, and, you know, you know, we are a content producer, but we also have a huge agency arm, Treehouse, who not only does the creative, but also produces the content originally in-house as well uh, for the branded content. So we do have the kind of the privilege of being able to encompass all of that in-house. Um, but I think also... I think social media gets quite a bad rap in terms of the, the measurement element. I think there's a huge distrust from t- traditional b- brands and, and more traditional agencies in terms of the, the impact and the effect that social media can really have on a brand. And I think primarily that's because we're so used to being able to spend huge, huge, huge budgets on traditional media like advertisement, uh, advertisements in, on TV and on you know, buses and billboards, etc. And because we're used to doing that, we we don't kind of question the measurement of those aspects of advertising, right? Uh, whereas when it comes to social media, really, there's so much that you can learn from that audience and there's so much that you can kind of gauge in terms of who's consumed that content and really who's who's actually engaged with that content. And when I say engaged, it's not just necessarily looking at comments and shares, but you're also looking at things like the average watch time of the video. So, for example you have a three minute long video um, and say you have 100,000 people view that video. If the majority of those people watched even, you know, a minute through that video, you can tell that that's something that they have stopped while scrolling through their timelines and actually consume that piece of content. And that's super, super valuable. Um, And you can use that that audience and then also retarget them with with a piece of content that maybe is a bit more direct. So so that's, it's just hugely valuable to be able to see all of those insights. But I don't think that there's, necessarily one specific number that you can look at I think it's more about looking at it as a as a kind of a whole uh, the the whole context of that campaign for example if you were to put a lot a huge paid budget behind a really quick five second video you might be able to guarantee that every bit of information that you want the audience to get is going to be in that five second video and you know you can have it go out to a million people but that's something that a five second advert is going to be you know, in, in one ear and out the other with the majority of that one million people, right? And, that, and that's, you know, that's how you measure, you, you've got to look at the impact of that. Whereas when it comes to a long form piece of content, you know, the, the impact that 100,000 people that it would have on those people is so much more exponentially bigger, right? Because that's a piece of content that they might have not only consumed and engaged with, but also something that has stuck with them and also changed the way that they perceive a brand and reposition that in their mind. And then that they can also then the next day talk about that with their friends and, and have it kind of be more of a, a word of mouth thing as well, right? 
Um, so I think it's really important when you're looking at a campaign to look at holistically what is the impact of this, not just, you know, let's look at this metric or that metric, but what do these metrics actually mean in the context of the content that we're actually creating? Yeah, exactly. And I think that's something that a lot of times brands get hung up on because they talk about vanity metrics more than they actually talk about the objectives of the campaign. Yeah, 100%. And I think and I think a lot of brands now are really scared of vanity metrics. And I think um, sometimes, sometimes it is, it, sometimes it is great for your video to get, you know, 20 million views. You know, sometimes that that reach is, is really, really important. But then you have to kind of look a little bit deeper and look at the comments and and how people are engaging with the content, um, not just you know in terms of numbers, uh, but also in terms of what what are they saying? What is the sentiment? Are they tagging their friends? Are they are, are they actually connecting? with those relationships that, that we want them to connect to, right? For example, if I was making a piece of advertisement that was um, geared towards mums, um, you would want to see in the comments if, you know, people were tagging their mothers or mothers were tagging their children or, you know what I mean? So you would, you would want to take a really close look at who is engaging with your content and what are they saying? So in your opinion then, what's the biggest obstacle in social media? So I think it is, it's a couple of things. I think one is, is the trust that both the audience and the brands has in the platform. I think as we become more kind of accustomed to social media and technology, I think we become more hyper aware of the impact that it has on us. Um, and I think as soon as that impact starts to feel negative, um, that's when people start to kind of um, reject social media and, and view it negatively. Um, so I think, I think social media, the platforms have to be really mindful of of the impact that they have um, not only on the audience, but also, you know, things like politically and globally. So I think it's, it's yes, one, it, we need to be mindful of that. But also I think that it's the education piece about what social media really is and, and pushing kind of how it can have such a, a positive impact as well. And I think it's also that, that awareness that social media is a new thing. And I think it's really easy to criticize something that is, that is still new and still developing within our lifetime rather than question things that have already existed that we kind of already kind of take as they are, like traditional media, like TV, like film, uh, like traditional advertising, because, the, you know, there are things that have always been there. So I think it, it is a little bit of an education piece of people need to start to realize that actually the impact of social media can be extremely positive if we use it in the right way. Um, and for advertisers, the impact of that um, it's so much more valuable in terms of how measurable it is and how much you can really engage and reach out to the people who are either buying your products or using your services um, or consuming your content. Um, I think it's just that realization that, you know, there is so much that you can do with this and there's so much power here that you can harness. But it's about, again, it's, it's that trust, uh, building that trust between the platforms, the audiences um, and the advertisers as well. Excellent. So then if you had to give one piece of advice to someone coming into the industry, what would be the key piece of advice you'd give them? Oh, that's a tricky one. <laughs> um, I think my biggest piece of advice here is it's, it's almost going to be contradictory because on the one hand, um, integrity is really, really important. So kind of um, if you're going to be using social media to push out your brand or to be pushing out um, your content, it has to always be about from the get-go you need to know what your mission is and what your goals are because otherwise you'll get caught up in looking at what other people are doing and seeing how things are successful for what other people are doing and then you lose that sense of identity and what, what you, your mission is um, but also but also on the other hand I think 
the agility is really, really important and being able to adapt to how the platforms are changing and, and being able to balance that with how the audiences consume that, consume that content because ultimately those two things aren't always congruent. Sometimes the audience wants to use the platform in a certain way and then the platform wants the audience to use it in a, in a different way because it's more valuable to them as a business, right? So it's about understanding those two things being able to adapt to that, but then not being able to, but then not losing um, kind of sight of what your mission is and what your values are and what you're trying to achieve. So then in terms of where you see it, we know we talked about the future of social media being such kind of a big question mark, finger in the air kind of thing. Um, yeah. But what would you think in terms of the ad formats? Are, are we kind of headed with staying with video or are we going to adapt that into something different and maybe transition into VR or AR? Um, I think for the meantime, I think it's going to be um, development of, of video for sure. I think that I think that we're still quite far away from from VR and AR because I don't think that there's been really any kind of mass adoption of that technology. Um, I do think I do think we're moving into it and it's, it is developing, but at the moment I think it's more of a novelty than it is um, a reality. Um, I know some 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 um, some experts might disagree, and I think some some AR fans might disagree, but um, I think for me it's going to be um, about situations and moments in in time where video is going to be really, really relevant. So for us at the moment, when it comes to social, everyone is consuming video when they want and when it's convenient to them. Um, whereas I think that the audience is kind of screaming out for a little bit of scheduling as well. Um, and we can see that with, with apps, for example, like HQ Trivia. So, you know, to, to take, for, for an app like that, to take everything that social media is and sip it on its head, by making it so that you have to log on at a certain time um, and it's live and then if you miss it that's it right that's totally the opposite of what social media is um, or what it is to us at the moment so i think that's i think we're going to see a lot more live programming coming out of platforms and i think we're going to see um advertisement um lean towards that as well in terms of you know what else and what's new um because again i think that the audience is screaming out for a little bit of that you know, the scheduled moments, right, of like, we're all sharing this together. And we, we already see that when people consume um, TV shows that, you know, that they're, they're talking about certain episodes online, and, and those topics trend, and those conversations happen on Twitter, for example. Um, so we're, we're already kind of, you know, seeing people wanting to kind of be in the same moment together. Um, and I think that that's going to happen through through platforms utilizing live a bit more. I don't think that they're quite there yet. I don't think they've really figured it out, but I think I see that being much more reality now um, and in, in the near future than, than augmented reality, for example. Yeah, I agree. I think the hesitation surrounding live video is I think a little bit of an application thing uh, in the sense they need education on how to do it and they need education on the strategy that they should be implementing to get that engagement. Um, and obviously when to post and how and all that. But at the end of the day, it really comes down to the strategy piece and how to keep users engaged. Because without that, you could just do a live video of an event where you're just standing there talking, or you could show them something and you can actually engage them with a poll or get them involved in other ways rather than just standing there. It makes it a little bit more empowering for them. Yeah, I totally agree. I think, 
you know, the benefits of doing live on social media is that you can have such a rich experience when it comes to um, engagement and the audience sharing that moment. So I think um, to kind of to, to not utilize that would be a bit of a crime, I think. <laughs> yeah, I agree. So then to close us out is actually going to be all about you. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so hope you like being in the spotlight <laughs> sure i mean i i was a youtuber when i was 16 so i obviously crave attention <laughs> <laughs> so it's gonna be a fun fact about you obviously we just found out you're a youtuber at 16 but what's a fun fact that we won't find on your social media profiles so um i guess i can link this to to advertising in some way but a fun fact about me is that i am a really big fan of the American National Football League. Um, I think, and I think that's because when you work in social media and you work in, in an environment where everyone is kind of trying to figure it out and then that you, you get a lot of noise from the outside of people kind of um, trying to kind of fake it till they make it. When it comes to when it comes to sports, you know, you're either good, at, you're you're either an athlete or you're not, right? So it's very straightforward and very black and white. So when you when you have spent the whole day um, on social media and talking about marketing and advertising, you kind of just want to go home and just watch like athletes carry a ball and then run into each other, you know. <laughs> yeah, so that's that's definitely not something that you'll find out from my social media. I think. <laughs> and then I'm sure the Super Bowl ads kind of influence that as well, right? Yeah, I mean, I think I think you know what I think the NFL is one of America's most incredible um, creations of the perfect um, situation to advertise at every single moment. Um, I think, you know, the sport itself, you know, you can put an ad after every two, three minutes of the game. Um, and then you've created, you know, this huge thing annually where brands are paying you millions and millions of dollars to show a 30 second advert. And this is a sport that's not even a global phenomenon. This is a sport that's only, that's only you know, really that popular in one country. Um, and I think it's just, you know, I think it's just really impressive um, how advertising is such a huge part of the game. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for uh, chatting. Thanks so much for having me. This was really fun. Well, guys, that's all for this week's 12 Questions podcast. But fear not, we're back next week sporting another fabulous guest. So stay tuned or have a listen to our previous guests, articles, tips, tricks, and more here at We Are Social Media.